Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Thank you all for making it. We're going to be the number one media conglomerate in the world. The key here is act like a happy family. We're the Osbournes, and I'm Daddy fucking Warbucks, okay? I always wanted one of you kids to take over. People would do well to remember there's going to be a new sheriff in town. Here's to us. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of Still Watching Succession, a podcast about the HBO series Succession. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. Uh, each week on this show, we like to break down what is happening with the Roy family uh, over here on Succession. And... Uh, we will be sort of getting into our rankings of like where we think the various members of the Roy family uh, are, are standing after this uh, trip to Washington. I believe the line was Mr. Fuck goes to Washington. Um, so we are in DC this week for uh, season two, episode nine called DC directed by Mark Millad and written by Emmy winner, Jesse Armstrong. So um, here we are the cream of the crop. Um, before we dive into what actually happened in the episode itself, I just wanted to hit a few uh, emails really quickly from listeners. Uh, Melissa writes in, in response to an episode a couple weeks ago, when Logan went and hit um, Roman in the face and Kendall sort of hopped in to defend him. Um, listener Melissa wrote in and uh, reminded me that in season one, Logan does a similar thing to Kendall's son. Like the show has kind of forgotten that Kendall has kids and an ex-wife. They're sort of like absent from the season entirely, but he has a kid who seems to had, who seemed to have like some sort of maybe behavioral difficulties and Logan just smacks him in the face and Kendall says no, but like they say no to Logan and then nothing like no actual consequences happen. Right. Like, right. Yeah. It's just no and roll on from there. So, um, 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was from Melissa. If you have any insight you want to add to us, you can email us, uh, still watching a pod at gmail.com. Uh, a friend of mine, Kim Renfro, who writes for Business Insider was at, um, the Emmys and she got a chance to talk to, some of the cast while she was there. Uh, and she floated to Jeremy Strong, our like theory that Kendall is very Theon Greyjoy this season. Uh, and Jeremy Strong got a big kick out of that. So you can read her piece sort of over on Business Insider about what Jeremy Strong thinks of comparing Kendall to Theon Greyjoy. I think it's, I think it's a pretty, pretty solid comparison and he mm-hmm. seemed to think so as well. So, uh, that is some stuff and some business. So let us dive right into this episode. What we like to do is sort of run down who we think is on top and who is on the bottom. After this week, we start on the top because it's always fun to end with kind of the <laughs> losers. So we're going to start with, I don't know that he's ever been on top of this ranking that we do, but we're going to start with number one boy, Roman Roy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard, Richard, why does Roman deserve the top spot this week? Well, he not only got a compliment from dad, he got a like f- friendly shoulder touch from dad. And then he also, you know, averted seemingly some sort of geopolitical crisis and sealed the deal to um, get this shifty Azerbaijani money. Right. Uh, he got the, he got the money. He kept his, you know, kept a clear head. While Carl was having a panic attack uh, by him. I really love this. Uh, you know, you never know what you're going to love when uh, Succession decides to mix and match various players. But this little grouping of Carl and Laird and Roman was endlessly entertaining to me. Uh, so I really hope that they put these three together in the future. I'm, I'm a big fan of them. Yeah, it's sort of a, th- those two with Roman are sort of like... I mean, a lot of characters on this show are sort of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, you know, <laughs> just yeah, these like <laughs> pathetic people in the background who have like access to power and yet are constantly being sort of thrown around. And I'm sure we're going to hear about them dying off screen <laughs> sometime on this show. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, and, the, and it was surprisingly like, I think the, the concept is sort of that, uh, Laird and Carl would handle, I think Logan said something like the logistics or something like that. And Roman was there just to sort of press, press the flesh. Mm-hmm. But I think Roman really, really rose to the occasion in a way that, um, you know, Jerry has kind of been saying that, that he could, uh, if he put his mind to it. So this makes me think if we're, if we're clinging to my theory of like each season's going to focus on one Roy kid, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if next season is a Roman season. Um, if, if he ends the season on a high note of some kind. So, yeah, no, I think, I think that's, that's, that feels right. Yeah. Um, and I think that, um, you know, in, in, in terms of, I guess like, I guess we're, we're, we've seen this season that the other, well, not Connor, but like Shiv and Kendall are sort of still somewhat compromised by a sense of not only morals, but of sort of self-regard. Whereas Roman just doesn't really have any of that. You know, he thinks right. he's a piece of shit. He doesn't mind being a piece of shit. He doesn't mind telling people he's a piece of shit. Um, and I think that makes him kind of grimly effective in this world. Right. And people just, um, just like him. You know what I mean? Because like, he's that's, honest that's, about it. You yeah. know, like, you know, I think that that's probably pretty refreshing when you have all these other people pretending like they're, you know, decent folks. Yeah. And then, um, we have a great bit of comedy, which is him 
having to give a pep talk to his uh, football club, his soccer team, the oh, Hearts. God. Yeah. Um, just, a, just a tremendous moment. I really hope that, uh, you know, whenever they, um, they do, they, they take on these various, very specific scenarios. It feels like the succession staff has done their homework. And I really want, uh, I really hope they went to actual footballers and were like, what is some of the stupidest things your clueless owners have ever <laughs> said to right. you? Great. We're going to write it down verbatim. Thanks so much. Um, so yeah. So Roman doing well. Um, what do you make of his sort of, they play this game of fuck, Mary kill with the executive floor. Uh, and he has his, uh, his Jerry reaction. What do you make of, of him protesting so much about Jerry? Yeah, too much, I would say. I mean, yeah. I, I think that like, I almost detected a note of jealousy, even though this was this dumb theoretical game, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. like he was kind of like, no, 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 like, like no one is supposed to see Jerry as some sort of viable partner. I'm, that's mine. That's my thing. Um, you know, and I don't know that necessarily anyone picked up on his sort of, you know, overcompensating, you know, disgust, but, um, it was, you know, I think this show is very good about remembering and not letting anything really go. Well, maybe Kendall's kids, but like, but you know, like, like little plot details. I mean, the way that Mo kind of comes back into this episode in a big way and you're like, Oh, that's why we went to that funeral. However many episodes ago. And I think, right, that like, right. you know, the show is not going to let us forget about this thing that Roman and Jerry did. Absolutely. Uh, and we got this a little bit last week when, um, there was this implication that Jerry and Logan might have had something maybe once upon a time and Roman yeah. kind of, uh, casually lost his shit about that. So, you know, um, I, it's been a while since we've had an encounter, uh, of that nature between them, but, um, I'm pulling for these kids, pulling for these crazy kids. Uh, that brings us to number two, another Roy boy. Uh, rising in the charts. It's, uh, it's Kendall Roy. Uh, first I have a quick, uh, check in with you, Richard. Did you ever eventually go back and watch the Kendall Roy rap from last week that you were too, uh, embarrassed to watch? Not only did I not do that, Joanna, I muted <laughs> Roman speech to the soccer team. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. I can't do it. I'm weak. I love it. I'm, 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 I'm at the bottom of the power ranking for both these episodes. <laughs> And you managed to avoid seeing it, um, uh, even though like it's all Twitter could talk about this week. You managed to avoid all all memes, all everything about Logan's rap. Look, when I, I mean, want to avoid uh, something, rap. yeah, I can. <laughs> I have I have ways. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that Kendall for that, and I guess it wasn't really embarrassing because people actually seemed to get into it eventually with the rap last week. But like this week, he you know after sort of being mildly tossed under the bus by his father in front of Congress bounces back with, uh, the kind of, you know, red meat Fox newsy rhetoric that, uh, tends to play really well for certain contingents in Washington and the United States. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he, d yeah, he did a great job. There is that, yes, that one moment that Logan, who, when he starts to flounder ever so slightly is like, oh, I don't know, my son, mm -hmm. you know, and then there's like, zoom in on Kendall, uh, going, yoinks. Um, but uh, Kendall throughout that hearing does an incredible job. His, his little sass back, uh, about like state controlled media and stuff like that, um, which we got a nice Jerry reaction to, um, 
was, yeah, he just, he, you know, he acquitted himself incredibly well. And, uh, we were able to see that in comparison to maybe how someone else, uh, did in front of that committee. And we will get to that person. But, um, I would say all three of the kids, Roman, Kendall, and Shiv, really came, or sorry, forgot about Connor. Um, <laughs> those three kids really came through, uh, for, for Logan and for the company, uh, in their various missions this yeah. week. And I know? think that so. what Jesse Armstrong did so shrewdly in the writing of this episode was that Logan teed each of the three up to succeed at what they do best. Roman being sort of sniveling and unscrupulous. Uh, Shiv holding herself to a moral ideal, but using that to do kind of amoral things. Uh, and then Kendall yeah. is just loves to stump for Daryl dad, you know, and, and <laughs> loves to defend the company. Like that's what he does. Even if he ends up seeming like uh, a bit of a hard charger or, you know, a windbag or whatever. And, and those are their kind of three primary skills and Logan and all of his, um, you know, savvy, uh, put them in place to do exactly what they're best at. Yes. Sometimes he sets them up to succeed and sometimes he sets them up to fail. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he has no memory of their successes whenever they do fail. So, um, you know, uh, okay. So that is our number two Kendall. He also has, um, after his, uh, whirlwind romance with the actress, uh, Jessica Jennifer. I doubt he remembers her name. Um, Naomi Pierce is back in the mix, uh, standing by his side. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about Na- the use of Naomi in this episode and what it means that she's there? I, I was a little surprised because I, I sort of figured that she was out of the picture after the whole actress yeah. thing, but, um, I think maybe they are setting up something more longer term with that. Like maybe they figured, okay, so Kendall's been out in the wild this whole season. Maybe next season they want to see him. Maybe, I mean, whatever his version of settling down is, right. um, maybe the kids will come back into the picture next season. You know, I think <laughs> that like, that like Kendall was spinning out into space in, in this most of the season. And now they're kind of bringing him back. He had just had a big win with not only, the company, but with his dad and, and maybe this. And his tremendous rap. His uh, tremendous rap that I'll never yeah. see. Um, <laughs> and now maybe like he's found something approximating a stable relationship. And who is it with? Another kind of embittered and yet still seemingly somewhat loyal member of a big family media company. Yeah. It's interesting. Who else I has mean, drug so problems? Like, <laughs> right. So my, um, my, my, my thought had been that like Logan's disapproval meant Naomi was out of the picture and then his disapproval of the actress meant she was out of the picture. But for him to bring Naomi back or like, it almost seems like Naomi showed up of her own accord. Like he was surprised to see her there. Right. And so, um, you know, she gets, maybe she gets points with him for doing that. And then he tries again. He's like, Hey dad, Naomi's here to support us. And Logan's like, don't care. Bye. Uh, so, you know, he's still, Kendall's still trying for that approval of whoever it is. He's, He's dating. Um, all right. So number three on our list is not a Roy kid. Mm-mm. Uh, it's good old Bill. Teflon uh, Bill. Uh, <laughs> Teflon <laughs> they were going to try to put him in front of the firing squad, but then he kind of, by n- really not doing anything on his own, just kind of dodged it all. 
Well, he, I mean, he let Logan know that he kept journals well, right. and yes. so could write a book if he needed to. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really savvy, friendly, I mean, so Bill had been set up the entire time. Like we met him in season one when he's handing over the reins to Tom and he's like well liked and everyone loves him, but he also has these various uh, strategies in place for like how to pass over the information. I don't know if you remember that whole thing. It's very Byzantine. He's like, I'm going to type this thing i'm going to print it it's like an airlocked yeah. computer i'm going to print it out it's the whole like he had bill had his his safeties in place he's not just shredding documents on thanksgiving uh like tom and um but bill has this reputation of being so nice that everyone's like oh okay obviously we'll just pin it on all on bill we like bill but rip bill adios billy boy kill bill is a fun like drinking like drink every time they say kill bill in this episode they say it a lot um and then he survives um he yeah. wriggles out at the last minute so there you go I, I think he's a good example of these smaller characters who the 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 roy family thinks like they always got one up on but like all these people at the company who have access to the secrets to where the bodies are buried and whatnot, like a lot of them are shrewd enough to have gotten to that position and also were smart enough to cover themselves, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that like, it's always kind of fun when the Roy immediate Roy family realizes that like people have protected themselves against them, you know? And um I think even Jerry kind of, you know, I think if you kind of put together all the times in any of the, you know, the, the, these conversations over the past two seasons, when things, something falls to her, she always pivots a little bit. So she has so much plausible deniability and you see how competent she was in the hearing, um, you know, in, in a way. And I think Bill is another example of that. He's like someone who like took care to protect himself, uh, but didn't, draw any attention to that he's not a blusterer and i think that those ultimately seem to be the kind of people who survive uh this you know these daily apocalypses yeah we don't have jerry officially on our ranking this week but i i would happily put her up here with bill because so the only reason she's in this committee hearing uh is because like hugo kind of threw her under the bus and it was this great moment where he was like yeah jerry and tom and she goes excuse me (laughs) Because this is exactly the kind of thing that Jerry always tries to wriggle her way out of. We saw it in that, like, our Jesties, um, episode where she's like, Oh no, not me. I send the wrong message. Someone else should do it. You know what I mean? And so, so she couldn't wriggle her way out of this one, but she shows up. She sits in front of the committee and she says stuff like, I have no knowledge of that. She has this great line where she's like, I'm not an IT expert. I don't yeah. know. She just like deflects without. Uh, going overboard the way that Tom does when he's like, I don't even know who Greg is, you know? Um, yeah. And she's so Jason yeah. with Cameron. It just gets the tone of, cause we've all seen a lot of congressional hearings after the past couple years, I feel like. And she just gets the tone of like kind of flat affect, not cold or standoffish, but just sort of like competent, but vague, you know, and just kind of like, well, it just, you know, that's kind of the, the, part of the just regular routine of data management, you know, like, like very professional sounding doesn't give anything away. Um, I just thought that that was like a perfectly calibrated little scene uh, for Jay Smith Cameron and she nailed it. Yeah. Love it. Um, all right. So that uh, brings us to another person in that room. Our um, future president, our future president, president Connor Roy, uh, the third Roy boy on the list here. Uh, Connor didn't do a ton in this episode, but he gets, uh, he gets up the charts for a couple reasons. Number one, 
we find out that he's got a surge, a groundswell of support um, by a group called the Conheads, right? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. not like Coneheads, but Conheads. Uh, <laughs> he seemed as surprised as us to find out that he has that support. So the the other reason I think Connor, uh, you know, uh, rose up the ranks in my estimation is this great speech he gives on how it's useless to have five million dollars. Um, <laughs> how you're like what the poor <laughs> the tallest yeah budget. the poorest millionaire um anyway uh love love that stuff from him it's just like uh, alan ruck is so good in this role and um just always like pitch perfect with everything he does and then there's this other great moment where um i think it's when kendall says something particularly great and connor gives like a sort of yes sort of fist pump <laughs> in the background yeah because he's a buffoon and <laughs> And I, but I think that people like a buffoon as we are all too aware these days. Um, and uh, he's a useful yeah. buffoon. Um, and I thought it was a really funny little detail that when the guy comes over and it's like, you know, we're all behind you, you know, uh, we're, we're the con heads or whatever. Um, Connor is like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Like, uh, God bless you. You know? And like, so he's already trying to get like, pretend as if he grew up in anything. Right. Religious. Sort of faith, faith based, yeah. you know? Um, I think of course, cause of course that would be part of the equation. Um, and I think that's like, that was a really smart detail. And I think also we had the detail of this, you know, very, um, uh, I think he was from Missouri, the Senator. Who, yes. You know, the family. I've been on your cruises, you know, and you're like, okay, so, so we not, not, we don't, we have a, a lobbyist type in a suit coming up and saying, we support you. We have a Senator saying the same thing. And it's like, okay, they are absolutely la- laying the groundwork for this guy to win. Connor's still pretty high on the ranks. Um, and then we get to Rhea, who has a tough week, but she's not bottom of the ranking because uh, it ends with her seemingly getting out, right? She's washing her right. ha- her hands of uh, Waystar Royco. Um, someone <laughs> someone on Twitter, I think it was, like challenged me to say Waystar Royco five times fast. I can't even say it once. <laughs> I I never managed to land it. So um, you guys can try that at home if you think you're better at it than me. Um, Waco Roystar, right? Was that it? <laughs> but Rhea's out. Uh, not not fungible, yeah. but out. Um, I really, I mean, we could just say this about every single actor on the show, but I really love Holly Hunter uh, this week in terms of the um, the extreme displeasure rating off of Rhea. No, she knows she's been outmaneuvered, put in a tight spot. She, she shows up, she gives this little like pep talk at the beginning of the episode, but she is, and she's never, she's not like yelling or losing. She's just so mad, mad at herself, mad at the situation, just this tightness sort of like in her mouth. What do you, what do you think about Rhea this week? Yeah. I mean, I like that she kind of explained, she's like, you know, I know that you're basically a bad person and yet i'm still sort of like i find you appealing you know and i think that that is the pull of so many of these you know sort of bad masters of the universe including the president currently you know people say well you know in a room he's kind of charming um and so i think that like the whole raya arc seems to be about at least one person um having that spell broken uh and so you know it's maybe not the most like satisfied like like i feel like they could have you know holly hunter could have done that if she, if she indeed is done in the show like could have done a lot more and yet i think that this was like an important sort of character arc to have on the show you know a principled person who gets wooed into this world because it's exciting and it has access to an incredible amount of power um and you know 
when Logan is favorable to you, it is like a weird kind of mostly indifferent sun shining on you. And then to have her be like, wait, 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 what am I doing? Um, and she had that moment with Shiv where she tried to sort of save her essentially. Um, and then she couldn't. And, you know, I think that was probably, yeah. The I mean, drop. I don't think of Rhea as entirely principled, you know, because she, you know, she, no, she, no. she wants her power. She wants whatever, but she does have her line and, and, she realizes that being associated with these people crosses a line for her that she's unwilling to be on the other side of. And I love, I love that moment with Shiv when they get in the car. Reyes says something like, this doesn't feel great. And Shiv says something mm-hmm. like, yeah, like soft, you know, shit, womanly duty or whatever. Like basically like, I don't want to be given the yeah. woman's job. And, and Rhea is like, that's not why this doesn't feel great. It's <laughs> not what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, really great stuff. I, I don't it, like, I feel like this might be the last we see of Rhea this season, but Holly Hunter feels like the kind of person who might show up, like sort of like Eric Bogosian did in this season, like, an episode or two next season, something, you know, she's sure. still in yeah. the world, yeah. you know, um, ditto Cherry Jones. Um, uh, speaking of like women disappearing though, like, uh, Roman asks about Marsha in this episode. Um, do you mm-hmm. feel like we're going to see Marsha again? I would guess there'll be some sort of reckoning next week, mm-hmm. but, um, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think they would dismiss her quite like that. Although this season, as it's, you know, near its end has seen people jumping ship. I mean, <laughs> um, but like, and so maybe that's what they're, maybe that's kind of narrative what the show is doing is it's trying to isolate these people in the sort of hell of their own, you know, decision-making um, and without any really other people to turn to. I mean, like even like someone like Bill is like, Oh no, no, I have an insurance policy. You're all fucked. Like goodbye. Right. <laughs> you know? Like um, I think that there's a certain uh, loneliness kind of, mounted like looming in front of like the the core Roy family. Yeah, and do you feel like that's why like one of the reasons why Logan was leaning on his kids so much like with Marsha gone and and Rhea not a source of that for him like he turns back to his yeah. kids. Um yeah, I think I think I think for sure and I think you know we see a, a bit in this episode and in the show in general but particularly in this episode w- w- with that dynamic like why huge companies remain family companies sometimes yeah, you know Yeah. Um Roman says something about that. He like when he's giving his pitch, um he says something like, you know, the tech industry would have you believe that legacy companies, you know, are ruining America. He's like, but that's not the case. We're stability. We provide stability. Mm-hmm. We provide actual money, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, that is interesting. Um, all right. So that, uh, brings us right over to Logan, conveniently enough, uh, who's smack dab in the middle mm-hmm. because, uh, he doesn't get, you know, roasted the way that he might have. Um, but he doesn't come out completely unscathed from this episode. Uh, this episode starts with, uh, one of my favorite images of the series ever, which is, um, just whenever they show the back of his head, they show the back of his head as easily sort of mm-hmm. like wandering through Central Park, I guess, like going from his apartment to one of his kids or something like that. I don't really know uh, mm-hmm. the path that he was taking, but uh, it's the back of his head, which is sort of iconic from the opening credits. Um, and I don't know, just like forces you to really reckon with like the, the, the shadow of Logan, like without, without Brian, the, like Brian Cox's face, you just have to be like, what is this? Like, what is this? I, Iconoclast, like what is this figure that I'm reckoning with, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that like he's in the middle because like you said, he couldn't avert everything. He did still get hauled in front of Congress, which is an embarrassment in a way. He had to read a contrite message from an iPad <laughs> in front of Congress. Right. You know, that is not something that Logan Roy is right. supposed to be doing. Um, but he's not all the way at the bottom by any means, because especially in that final scene with Shiv, he, 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 you know, he, he still, you know, um, bears his teeth. He shows his power. He's like, there's gotta be a blood sacrifice. Um, and you know, he, he that could be anyone, you know, um, but it's going to be someone big. And do we have any indication? Uh, well, I, I think it's Tom. Uh, we can talk about why when we get. And that's why he had that conversation with Shiv right. in particular. Right. Maybe. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of questions about that. Um, but yeah, so, so that's, that's Logan sort of in the middle. Uh, he started strong in that hearing. You know what I mean? Um, reading mm-hmm. off his iPad and doing a little charming, like, who am I to contradict, you know, Mr. Emerson or whatever. Um, but then he, he did sort of start to fumble in his slightly like sundowning way. Uh, you get, you get the shot of yeah. Gil being like, what is happening here? Uh, and that's what, that's when he just reverted to throwing Kendall right into the bus there. So. Uh, there we go. Um, all right. And that brings us to number six, which is Shiv. And this is a complicated, uh, question. We had a question of like whether Shiv should be on top or on the bottom this week. So we, we sort of compromised, uh, with like near the bottom. Um, and it's because yes, she quote unquote won, but at what cost and what is she going to have to do next? So, um, this 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 yeah go ahead yeah what do you what do you what do you no yeah i'm just saying it's it's a complicated kind of character moment mm-hmm. for her i mean i should say you know when we're trying to decide these things it's very much like that outtake from waiting for government of parker posey saying who's on top and who's on bottom now <laughs> that's what you say every time when you call me for one of these recordings um but uh yeah i mean i think that like from a perspective from a perspective one perspective she 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 did her little child task you know like she succeeded like kendall and roman also succeeded she got this um you know complainant this this victim of sexual uh, harassment to you know rethink her testimony mm-hmm. um so okay a victory there but i think that as we saw in the car with Rhea, like she really has now divested herself of all the supposed principles she had um, in season one when she's working for Gil and, you know, and she's, she's like on the liberal side of things, whatever, like she's now just fully of that, of the, the Roy machine. And um, I think that is kind of a loss for her. So that's why she's toward the bottom this, this week. Yeah. And um, I really do. I feel like she's being set up to have to sacrifice Tom. And yeah. uh so she sent to, uh, you know, do this errand for her father, uh, talk this woman who I saw as sort of supposed to be like a Christine Blasey Ford sort of analog. This actress, uh, that they got for the role, um, Sally Murphy has just like a very similar, um, like a soft spoken sort of demeanor and, and kind of look to her. And so it's sort of like, to me, it struck me as like, what, what would have happened if she had been talked out of testifying? A lot of the arguments that Shiv is making speaks directly to what happened, uh, to Christine Bossy Ford, who, if you don't remember, uh, testified in the Kavanaugh hearing, like, you know, the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Um, and, and her life was like essentially destroyed as a result of it. Uh, and he was still confirmed. 
And so it's like, I like you're, Shiv's not entirely wrong, right? Um, no, and that's the, that's the kind of really bitter thing about that yeah. scene. And it's such yeah. a well-written scene and, yeah. um, is like, it's like, you know, but the thing is, is that Shiv is not wrong, but she's acting in defense of the people who would prove her right. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. She's acting in defense of the people who would ruin her life. You know, so she's saying like, don't, I mean, like, don't, please don't let my dogs bite you. you know? <laughs> oh, a uh, nice life would be a real shame if something happened to it. Yeah. It's um, like when, she, when, when this woman asks, like, can I trust you? And Shiv says, no, She's both telling the truth and making a calculated uh, play here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, the kind of downfall of Shiv this season is that she increasingly doesn't know anymore. Can't really mm-hmm. tell the difference, you know? Yeah. Um, she's just completely lost herself in um, the game. Yeah. So I don't know if, um, if they're showing us doing like showing her do this, um, despicable thing in this episode so that she can do the right thing in the finale. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Like mm-hmm. modulating it that way. Like this is the, this is bottom for Shiv. And then if she's asked to sacrifice Tom in the finale, maybe she won't. Um, I, I don't know what would be the more surprising and or narratively satisfying outcome. If, if Logan is actually asking for Shiv to sacrifice Tom because Bill is off the, off the table. And, and knowing this, like I watched this episode a little while ago and then I, I went back and rewatched the whole season and there's just like this slow tightening of a noose around Tom all season. And whenever Tom looks to Shiv for reassurance of like, I'm not getting fucked, am I? Like he, he asks mm-hmm. it in almost every episode. She's like distracted. She's on her phone. She's like, what? No, you're fine. You know, like it. And so, you know, if you're a betting man, like <laughs> maybe you would bet that Shiv is not going to show up for him. But then I don't know if, if, Succession is the kind of show where it would be more narratively satisfying for her to surprise us all and show up for him in, in the, in the 11th hour, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the, for Shiv, the Tom problem, the Tom question is that partly the reason that she's with him at all is as a tool. Right. And eventually the tool is going to lose its utility and she was going to have to get rid of it. And so I think that she just doesn't want to confront the fact that like she kind of always knew that Tom was going to have to be neutralized at some point. Right. Or euthanized even. Um, and, and I think that like, she just like would prefer to look at her phone than deal with that, you know? Yeah. Her, her meat puppet, uh, as it were, you know, and, and, um, I think it's Logan or maybe it was even her mom, Caroline, um, or maybe both of them, basically when she married Tom being like, you're marrying beneath you, like you're better than this person, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. um, Shiv probably knows it, but I, I mean, like I would like, I don't know. I don't know what I would prefer. We'll talk about it a little bit more when we get to Tom. All right. So, uh, right above, uh, the Tom slot is, uh, Gil and, and Gil's assistant, Nate. Uh, Nate, you might recall in season one, had this affair with Shiv. Um, there's something interesting and possibly very personal about this attack on Tom because you see Nate sort of very specifically as the hearing is getting going. 
And, uh, if you remember in season one at their, at Tom and Shiv's wedding, Shiv, uh, confesses to Tom that she slept with Nate. And he's sort of, he's thrown, he's upset, he's heartbroken, all this sort of stuff. And she's like, it's no big deal. It's fine. We're fine. And he's like, can I at least throw that guy out of our wedding? And she's like, yeah, okay. And mm-hmm. so he like kicks Nate. He's like, we don't have a hotel room for you. You have to leave and kicks Nate in, in a, like a rare Tom power play sort of out of the wedding. Cause it's something Shiv has told him he's allowed to do. So I, I was wondering how much of this attack on Tom's unrelenting attack on Tom was payback from Nate, uh, through Gil for that thing in season one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that like, <sighs> I like the way that Nate and Gill are handled in this episode because Kendall isn't exactly wrong when he says that this is a personal vendetta thing on Gill's behalf mm-hmm. and Nate has a personal stake in it. And I think it just shows like how, um, these public facing, you know, power holding people who are holding, you know, these companies feet to the fire, they're compromised by it too, in some way, usually, you know, like, the, like Gill is going, you know, on ATN 10 times or whatever. And Nate slept with the guy's dog, you know, like, like they're, they're, when, when, when everyone's that close in this kind of chamber of power, like there's going to be overlap in all directions and there's no, there's little purity of position, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's very complicated. I really like that we have these figures and, and this fl- political sphere, um, this hearing, this, uh, you know, if we get a political season, which I'm really hoping we do a Connor season, uh, it's nice to build this groundwork for like what, what this fictional version of Washington, how it operates. Um, I thought it was super interesting that Shiv, uh, Shiv, Shiv goes down to talk to them. She has this little bag in her hand, which almost looked like a little like gift, but we, she doesn't have it when she gets into the office. So I almost wondered if it was like for Gil's assistant to like let mm-hmm. her into the office. I don't know. That's headcanon that I've made up, but I like, I noticed that she has this little, like this little gift bag with her. And I almost wonder if she was like, Sheila, hi, how are your kids? Here's this. Can I just sneak in? You know, he won't mind sort right, of thing. Right. Um, I feel like that'd be a very Shiv thing to do, but yeah. Um, and this idea of Gil as like morally compromised by the fact that, um, he has this righteous indignation about ATM and yet has appeared on the network 14 times in the last however many months or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a, it's a fun portrait of our politicians. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to the bottom of the heap. Um, Greg, Greg and Tom are usually on the same level. We usually put them on the same level, but, uh, I'm going to put Greg slightly above because he's actually family and Tom isn't. And I think that matters for what's going to happen next. And, uh, yeah. so Greg, Greg is flipping out, uh, because he gets named, uh, in, in the hearing and Logan's reaction to that is interesting. He sends him out of the room, but it doesn't seem like angrily. It's just sort of like, go calm down, but you're fine because mm-hmm. you're blood and you made the right choice. You chose me over your grandfather. So you're, right. you're fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that that, that, that's an important distinction. Absolutely. Um, I think also that in the, co- the course of the hearing gone wrong with Tom, Greg is made to seem like such a sort of low totem yeah. patsy that like he is way too small bore as is, as was Bill, I guess for, this blood sacrifice yeah. thing. 
you know, it, it has to, he, it, it, you know, as tall as he is, it still has to go over his head. You know, it has to be someone <laughs> higher up. And, um, and so I think that weirdly gives him a position of safety. Did he make a really dumb decision? I mean, take the quarter billion dollars and just get rid of, you know, rid yourself of all of these monsters. Yeah. But like, that's not what he wants. So, um, yeah, that's why I think he's not bottom bottom. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that, um, uh, oh, I just want to make sure that we don't forget, uh, this email. Let me see if I can find it. What is it? You don't, you can't make a Tom without breaking a few Greg's. Is that the, uh, a tomlet without fit breaking yep. a few Greg's. Can't make a tomlet without breaking some Greg's. So, uh, so good stuff. Um, all right. So that brings us down to Tom, the, the tomlet himself. Um, and so my, my big question to you, uh, and, th- and this idea of like family and not family, this, uh, th- this idea came back up in this week's episode when, um, when they're watching this news magazine show, um, with the whistleblower, <laughs> um, and, uh, and they talk about, um, an incident, no real person involved, right? That this was code that they used, uh, in the, in the Mo days to be like, uh, this isn't a real person. And it's, what's interesting mm-hmm. is that that's, that's similar to a phrase Shiv used earlier in the season, right? When she, when Tom was like maybe contemplating hooking up with this woman, Shiv knew, Shiv was like, no, that's a real person. You can't do this. I actually yeah. know her. Yeah. Um, and so this is vocabulary yeah. these people have. And Absolutely. like, as much yeah. as we like to think of Shiv as like an enlightened or more progressive member of this family, like, that's a mentality she has. And it's the same mentality, um, as the people that turn a blind eye to this abuse scandal. And so my question is, is Tom a real person to them? Is Tom someone with a face to them mm-hmm. or is he not? Mm-hmm. And my bigger question to you is Matthew McFadden is such a great part of the show. I, I think the writers love writing for him. I think he, uh, the, the audience loves him, loves Tom. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. How bold and brassy would it be for the show to quote-unquote kill Tom off? Uh, they keep using the, the, the terminology kill. They're not actually going to kill him probably. But um, what if Succession got rid of Tom even though he's a fan favorite would that be like a the equivalent of like cutting ned stark's head off in game of thrones like what do do you think of that as a potential move i don't know i kind of think they have too much fun with him you know but again talking when we're talking about shiv like i I wonder i wonder 
if we're almost at the end of it being plausible that they would keep someone like yeah. him around. Yeah. You know, um, he's a, he's really only there cause he's married to, to one of them, you know, and cause he's a complete nincompoop and like, and like just demonstrates that in public fashion, uh, with some frequency this season. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could see it going one of two ways. They just are kind of ruthless about it and, and, you know, he's thrown to the wolves or like you were talking about next week, Shiv protects him in a way. And that is the kind of final thing in her season two downfall somehow, you know, she's, you know, kicked basically, ostracize out of the family or something. I don't, I don't know. Or she takes the fall for, for Tom or something. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, I you know, his fate does feel very much in the balance. Yeah. I can't sure. decide, decide what her downfall would be. Would it be getting rid of him or would it be protecting him? There's a downfall in her father's eyes. And then there's like sort of her moral her complete moral decay. Mm-hmm. And if we want to look at sort of like yeah. what happened to Kendall in season one, Kendall was broken by this thing that happened to him and brought to heal like for his father. So if Mm -hmm. Shiv betrays Tom and that breaks her in a way, but she's firmly under her dad's thumb as a result of it, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it'd be Mm -hmm. interesting to repeat Kendall's storyline or to do something different. I don't know. I'm, I, I, and I, and what's great about the show is I, I could not tell you which way it's going to go. Yeah. No idea. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think both would make textual sense, which is yeah. nice, you know, like, like the way they've built the character, like she could go either way. And both options are, are com- completely, you know, um, agree with everything yes. we've seen. Yes, not, neither would feel out of, like, completely out of character, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's my last question for you. Um, not mm-hmm. knowing what's gonna happen to Tom in the finale, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's play what if. If, uh, Shiv throws him under the bus, mm-hmm. is there a storyline for Tom on the show that is outside Waystar, Roy Co. I did it. Um, or outside his marriage to Shiv, uh, or does he just like you know tuck tail and go back to Minnesota, Minnesota or whatever? I think there could be. I think that if they cast him out, someone else with the with the competing interest might want to pick pick him up and use him as intel. Essentially, um, they know he's dumb, but they know he knows a lot of things. Um, which is a good combination for a competitor to way star. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so yeah, I could, I could see that being a thing. I sure. wonder if we're building a conglomerate of like a way star Roy co enemies, like people right, have been exactly. cast out, right? Like Rhea and Tom. Um, I'm sure we can figure out, you know, maybe they go work for Stewie and Sandy or something like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. enemy, the enemy forces join forces or something like that. So I'd be interested to yeah. see it. Um, I have to say with the, when, with the, the Tom testimony led to, I think I like laughed out loud. My favorite line of the episode. It's a really dumb one, but, but like, I forgot who said it, but they're like, I'd give him a B plus B for bad plus terrible. <laughs> I want to say that was Hugo Fisher Stevens, yeah. just like kind of killing so, it. So good. <laughs> um, or maybe, maybe that was Frank. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. And also it was Frank. It was Frank. That's oh, okay. What it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. another favorite moment for me is when they were like, do you know Greg? And he's like, no. And then you get the reaction room and they're like, no. 
Yeah. Oh boy. Oh buddy. Uh yeah, he did a real bad job. Um all right. So so I mean tune in next week to find out what happens to the Tomlet. Um yeah. and <laughs> and whether we have to struggle on without him. I genuinely don't know. We haven't seen the finale. I don't have a screener for it. So this is just this is a fun uh space for me because it's pure speculation. Um all right. So until the finale, which which we should say will go up a little late because we'll be watching on Sunday and recording yeah. on Monday. So it'll be in your feeds a little late. But until then, Richard, where can people find you? Uh, I have a lot of work to do. I'm I'm the webmaster for the Conheads website. So oh. I just have to like, yeah. But but well, if I'm not working on that, I'll be tweeting at Rylaz and writing for VF.com. Where will you be until next week? Our finale, Jamana. <laughs> Um, well, God bless you for your work with the Conheads. Um, I, I will be tracking down the Atlantic writer who wrote the line, a smirking block of domestic feta. <laughs> That was David Sims. Oh, oh Simsy. Great. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so my job's done. So I'll just be uh, hanging out until next week. You can find me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. You can find both of us talking about award season stuff on little gold men. Uh, and we will see you next week. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake at The New Yorker, to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. from PRX.